From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. The state of Oregon is in a housing crisis and we have a long way to go before it's over. It doesn't matter if you live in the Portland metro area, out on the coast, or in a rural area. There is a shortage of affordable housing all over the state. New construction is expensive, and sometimes it can be slow. So we need creative solutions to fill that gap. Thank you for joining me. I'm Brenda Braxton in for Laurel Porter. Today, we are talking about ways to address the housing crisis. It's an old idea that we're looking at in a new way. It can house people right now affordably, and it doesn't require building anything new. My guests today are Tess Fields, the executive director of HomeShare Oregon. It's a nonprofit that matches people who have unused rooms in their homes with people who need affordable housing. And joining Tess is James Dirksen, who's been sharing his home for years now. Also, Margaret Van Vliet. She is the former director of Oregon Housing and Community Services. Thank you all for being here today. So let's look at the scope of affordable housing crisis here. Right now, according to the Oregon Office of Economic Analysis, the state is 111,000 units short of what it needs. In Portland alone, we're short about 48,000 homes. Oregon's new governor, Tina Kotek, has pledged to build 36,000 units a year, which is for sure an ambitious goal. But even if that happens and nothing gets worse, it'll take years to catch up and millions of dollars. Margaret, let me start with you. Can you talk more about the scope of the problem and why we are so behind on what we need? Yes, thank you. Um, well, it's been, a, it's been a problem many years in the making and it'll be, as you say, many years uh, to address it. Uh, there's a variety of problems that have prevented our state from producing as much housing as we need. Population growth has really far outstripped our ability to build homes and apartment buildings for folks. Uh, lots of reasons for that, but one thing that stands out for me is that uh, lots of industries have evolved and changed and seen a lot of innovation, but home building and home construction really has not changed much in many decades. So that's one piece. The pace of construction really hasn't changed much. Um, and so that's one contributor. The other thing is uh, it requires local governments to be able to plan and zone and issue permits for building. Local governments are pretty strapped and so sometimes those are bottlenecks in the system. Uh, financing for affordable housing in particular is very complicated. So that ends up taking a long time. So it's sort of a combination of factors that have landed us in this place. And I want to be clear that the 110,000 units that we're behind today and over the next 20 years, we need an additional half a million or more new homes statewide. That's not just affordable, that's for all income levels, all types of housing, rental, ownership. Uh, it's certainly a lot for affordable and folks who are homeless, but it's not just that population. So Tess, tell us about Oregon Home Share. It's relatively new. A lot of people are going to be unfamiliar. What is it and how does this home sharing work? 
Homeshare uh, Oregon is a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to expand access to affordable housing utilizing the Homeshare model. There's about 1.5 million owner-occupied homes across the state of Oregon that have a spare bedroom available, and one out of every three homeowners are mortgage burdened. Our seniors specifically, 40% of our seniors are reporting uh, that they're at risk of foreclosure. And so we felt if we could match these constituencies and these populations, then we could house 30,000 people affordably with no new infrastructure and also help build financial resilience for 30,000 homeowners that are at risk of foreclosure or living on such a tight income uh, that they're having a difficult time making ends meet in other ways. So James, what made you decide to jump in? You have been sharing your home with various people for how long? Uh, over 20 years now. Mm, tell um, me about your experience. Yeah, so what made me jump into this is, is basically my wife. She is, has a great heart for people and opening up our home to make sure that uh, people she meets and interacts with have a safe place to stay. She's been convinced for a long time that there's a certain uh, segment of the population of homeless people that just need a family around them. So we try to provide that. So what types of people have you hosted oh, in your home? Oh, it's been all over. I was just thinking about, um, I, it's the anniversary now of the closing down of the state for the pandemic. And right after the pandemic, I think we had 14 people in our home. So we had wow. four college students, two high school students, a young family, plus our own family, all living in various places in our big house and here in the area. So uh, that's one example of a, of a crisis situation. But a couple of years ago when we had the wildfires, there was a 75-year-old man who was the neighborhood homeless person in our neighborhood. Everybody knew him. Everybody felt comfortable with him. A lot of people had, had conversations with him, but it really wasn't safe for him to be out in the smoke. Uh, you know, he's, he's elderly, has some heart problems. So my wife just said, well, just come in for a couple days. And he's been with us for two and a half years now. So he's, he's found a new home. James, you and your wife are extraordinary. Tess, he's not typical though. 14 <laughs> people in, in one home, that is absolutely amazing. Can you tell us more about the typical situation and how you even begin to match homeowner with person who needs a space? Yeah, so uh, the, our, tar the, our clients uh, usually are women over the age of 50. Mm. Um, and many of them have experienced uh, the death of a spouse or divorce. Um, they're working, but they're trying to figure out a way to, at some point in time, be able to retire. Uh, and they're also, they're, if they have children, they've aged out and gone to college, many of them. And they're really, you know, looking for a way to build some financial resilience and then also to have some companionship. And uh, so for our organization, a lot of it is we provide people with a free technology application that does compatibility matching for homeowners and housemates and housemates and homeowners. And then we also provide free background screens. We provide free home sharing agreements. And for people who want ad additional assistance, and this is mainly our seniors who want additional assistance, we provide them with um, case management services. We help them utilize the technology. We help them secure their match and find the person that is, is most conducive for them. We walk them through the process uh, uh, really well and if, um, if they're not located in one of the areas where we have an, an employee, we find a volunteer to help them do this. 
Can one of you speak to safety? Because I think a lot of people will hear this and think, oh, I can't let a stranger live in my house, even with matching. Did you ever, James, have any concerns about safety? Yeah, I think everybody has to be concerned about that, and you have to make sure the people you let in your home are the, uh, the right fit for you, and especially at your stage of life, and depending on who else is at home. The population test was talking about, about senior women. Um, they're very desirous to have somebody around for company, and, but, it's, but, it's a, but it's really important to, to make sure that they're really comfortable with the person. Um, Tess's program has great background checks and uh, home sharing agreements that go into place, so if there ever are any troubles, there's, there's an agreement to help arbitrate that things like that. So I think you have to be um, really conscious of exactly who it is I want in my home. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a large uh, demand for, for affordable housing right now. So you, uh, homeowners are in a, a great situation to be kind of picky about who they want to come in and make sure it's a really good fit for them, for their lifestyle, for um, political choices, Dietary choices, do they want dogs, do they not want dogs, do they want sponges or dish towels, <laughs> those, those kind of things. That's a big one with some of our seniors. Yeah, yeah. so you, you, you have a lot of good choices. I think too, I kind of want to add on to that because it is, it is the number one question that we probably get. And it's one of the reasons I think why HomeShare Oregon is so significant. And it's because we really walk people through how to do this intelligently and decisively. Uh, home sharing isn't for everyone and it's absolutely not a decision that should be made impulsively. And part of the way, you know, with the screening process, it's, it's not just background checks, but you know, there's also reference checks. And this really goes to both sides. So oftentimes when people think about safety, they think about the homeowner. Uh, but for many of our women who are in college or in graduate school and they're looking for a room to rent, they're also very concerned about who they're moving in with. So we actually recommend background checks going both ways. And then an, a, an extensive guided conversation that really covers the gamut of, you know, how do you deal with this? What do you like about this? Um, and and if, when we have a, a disagreement, how are we going to manage that? Are we going to text each other? Are we going to email? Are we going to sit down and talk about it? Mm -hmm. um, our home sharing agreements, you know, encourage people to talk about what exactly are we sharing? Are we sharing you know, dishes? Are we sharing Tupperware? Are those things going to be separate? So by the time the match actually happens, so much has been discussed um, and agreed upon that both parties feel typically really confident in saying, you know, this is something that I feel, I feel good about doing. Um, but it's really about putting that process to work for you. How many homeowners have signed up so far? We're really excited because we just broke 900 last mm. week. And you know, from our perspective in terms of building access to affordable housing, I think it's really important to know that you know, the average home sharing agreement is about $750 a month. Um, and we have all kinds of different agreements out there between parties. And the diversity of this is what I love so much because with home sharing, you can still bargain. So if you can't afford a certain amount of money every month for rent, you can say, you know, do you need any assistance around the house? And if the homeowner does, and they're, you know, well, could you take $50 off or, you know, whatever it is. And so there's a lot of um, opportunities to negotiate and talk to each other and get to know each other that is not available anymore in the traditional rental market. Um, so, uh, but the way that we see it in terms of housing also is, 
by 900 homeowners renting a spare bedroom, that reduces the need for 900 apartments. And so we really view spare bedrooms as a part of the housing inventory that we need to put to work that's underutilized. Um, and given the crisis that we're in, we need multiple solutions being thrown at this issue because it's it's just too big for one solution. And the domino effect goes even farther than that. If you get somebody into a house that, you know, someone's renting out a room, it opens up an apartment, then that may open up a motel room mm -hmm. or it may open up shelter space. So it really is cycles. a positive domino effect. Margaret, you were saying that this is not just a low-income issue, the housing affordability crisis in Oregon. Say more about that. Yeah, well, we're, we're short housing at all income levels. And again, it's more concentrated at the low income levels, but certainly at higher, moderate and higher income levels, we don't have enough homes. And the, there's a lot of negative impacts to our economy to that housing shortage. For example, employers have trouble recruiting uh, workers because they, they can't find housing that works for them or that is, you know, in, in the neighborhoods that where they want to send their kids to school. Um, first responders and public employees uh, often have a hard time uh, finding housing, um, even if they're, they're not looking for affordable housing. And one of the things that happens uh, in, a, in this environment is that people uh, commute long distances to find a place that they can share, uh, that, that they can afford to live in. And, and that, of course, has negative consequences on our roads, on our you know, emissions, and so forth. So uh, there's lots of reasons to pay attention to this, and it's definitely not just at the at the lowest end. So uh, Home Share has aired several commercials advertising um, its services. Tess, we're going to take a look at a couple story. of them here. Can you say more about the response that you got to these? Yes, uh, when we launched, we were, you know, it was one staff person and a really relatively uh, small nonprofit. And once we got the resources that we needed uh, to be able to provide Oregonians with, with access to this technology for free, we decided to air a campaign or air an ad. Uh, and we didn't know what the response was going to be. Uh, we were met with some skepticism. People, you know, the typical, you know, I don't know that that's safe or that people would really do that. Uh, and what we found was it was absolutely like a tsunami hit. Um, it's the only, I've worked in nonprofit for the majority of my life. It's the only time that I've heard from all 36 counties within two weeks. Somebody was calling from Coos, Curry, Deschutes, Multnomah. Um, it, it was it was everywhere. Uh, Jackson, uh, Josephine. Um, where do, where do we sign up for this? How do we do this? And the impetus for those calls were just as varied as as anything. Some people were calling because they were struggling with workforce housing in their communities and they wanted to galvanize their communities to start helping to house their employees. Uh, some people were calling because they were being evicted from their apartment and they were 72 years old and they had absolutely nowhere to go and were desperately trying to find another senior to live with. Uh, we had many homeowners call that, again, a lot of seniors that said, I've been wanting to do this for so long, but I just don't know how to do it by myself and I need some help figuring it out. So um, it, it ran the gamut. And at this point in time, we've served, uh, we've 
provided services to people in 33 of the 36 counties across the state. Yeah, that is impressive. You are filling a need for sure. Okay, the other big question that you get from people is about paying taxes on additional income from renting out rooms. So we're gonna talk about that in our next segment and a new bill that could ease the tax burden for homeowners. We'll be back in two minutes. We are back with HomeShare Oregon talking about tackling the affordable housing crisis by encouraging people to rent out rooms in their homes. Now, one of the barriers for some homeowners is wondering whether they have to pay taxes on that income. That's why lawmakers have introduced a bill that would provide tax incentives for people renting out their rooms. House Bill 3032 would absolve a homeowner from income tax liability on earned income if they rent out a room in their home for $1,000 or less long term. This home sharing bill has bipartisan support. Okay, you guys, how many times have we been able to say that lately? Not very often. So the lawmakers who sponsored this bill test said yes, almost immediately, right? Yes, they did. There was a lot of enthusiasm for the idea. Um, uh, people thought it, it, it was a no-brainer, and, and it, was, it was wonderful to see that, that both sides uh, you know, really embraced this idea. All right, so... Um, Math, not my strong suit, but I want you to run through the numbers because we mentioned taxes. That is a huge issue for everybody. So how does it work? Okay, so, you know, as, as you articulated, basically, if a homeowner living in an owner-occupied home agrees to rent a spare bedroom for $1,000 or less per month, they're absolved from that additional income uh, tax liability on that additional earned income. So normally at the end of the year, for instance, uh, when you're filing, let's say you're at the 9% income tax level, which and you're renting for $1,000 a month, you would basically owe the state around $1,100 or a little bit more. And what we're saying is that home sharers are providing a service to the state by providing affordable housing and so we should get 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 rid of that income tax liability um, and uh, and then we're also looking to hopefully do something on the federal level soon as well it's Go a very cost-effective solution I would say because mm -hmm. for that incremental sort of tax loss uh, tax revenue loss if you compare that to what it costs to build or pay rent subsidies on an affordable property, it's, you know, it's apples and oranges. Uh, construction costs for affordable housing today are running about $400,000 a unit. Mm. And now not all of that comes from public money, uh, but up to half often does. So just that comparison in the hard construction costs alone is, makes this a very cost effective. Uh, response. Um, so I, I think there's lots of reasons uh, that it's getting good support and uh, so certainly Tessa's leadership and enthusiasm for the idea is is a great help to the state. You know when you talk about 350 or 400,000 per door mm -hmm. as you say per unit mm -hmm. I mean that can be an apartment you know mm -hmm. in a building some places that is a home price. Correct. Why is it so expensive to build a single unit? Well, uh, that's, the, that's a big question, but uh, on the affordable housing side, there's lots of reasons that the costs have escalated. 
it, it kind of has to do with how complicated the public money is that goes into it. You've got tax credits, you've got subsidized loans, you've got grants. They come from all sources and, and oftentimes an apartment building will use six or eight or even ten sources of public money. Developers need lawyers, they need tax accountants, they need syndicators. So all of a sudden, all the, um, all the extra things that aren't about the building itself get added on. Um, there's also good reason to uh, make sure that affordable housing is durable. And so there's requirements and expectations that building materials are very solid, that energy efficiency is top notch, and so on. So variety of reasons, but it's growing so fast, it's really part of the challenge the state has to face. So James, have you recruited anybody else from the homeowner side? I mean, you are the poster child <laughs> for doing this right. I, I think we have people that are warming up to the idea, watching mm -hmm. us do it and, and seeing the benefits to not only the people that we provide a place for, but also the enrichment that we get in our life by knowing these people. Mm -hmm. You know, I mentioned the young family that was with us for a year. They then graduated and went and got their own place and the, the gentleman got a job at Microsoft and this, they just needed a hand for a little while. And I think a lot of people saw the benefit to them and to us that we have this long-term uh, new family, these new family members. So Margaret was mentioning some of the bureaucracy basically of mm -hmm. getting stuff done. Is the bill that's in the legislature now going to address any of that, Tess? No, this is a very straightforward bill because, you know, our goal is to incentivize home sharing. And uh, we really want to make it a, an, an easy process for people and to, to get rid of any and all barriers as much as possible. So we kept this very focused. Did you hear any naysayers? We talked about bipartisan support, but were there concerns about this? You know, I, uh, I don't think there were some misunderstandings of the bill. Uh, you know, just some basic misunderstandings around tax law and how it works uh, that we needed to clear up. Not, I wouldn't call it a naysayer as much as a clarifying conversation. Uh, and um, then there were some, there were some concerns about uh, families being able to rent one another and things like that. But again, that was also a misunderstanding because uh, families can pool together and pool resources together, and that's not something that you know is taxed. You know, uh, so. Uh, but aside from that, it's. I we purposefully designed this bill to be 14 lines long. We wanted it straightforward, we wanted it simple, we, you know, and that I think is what is attributing to part of its success at this point. So when will this go into effect if it clears all the different hurdles? When might we see this be a done deal? Janu January 2024, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you heard from anybody in Salem, even off the record? I know we've reached out to people and, and nobody's saying anything quite yet, but what is some of the response that you've heard? I've heard, it's been really, really rewarding. Uh, frankly, uh, many of our state representatives have home shared at some point in their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, many of them were, uh, when they were young, actually uh, James here did when he was young too, uh, lived with, with an older person when they were in school. Uh, there was a state representative I spoke to that he and his wife fell on hard times and they actually had a border move in to help get them through that period of time. Uh, 
so I, I mean, that that what has what's been a lot of fun about it is oh, I, I home shared um, and and a lot of enthusiasm for that. And then uh, you know, I've really. Um, I really have not heard a lot of, of negative things. It's just been very positive. People have questions like everyone does, you know, how does the safety work? How do the home sharing agreements work? Um, but it's, it's a way to expand access to affordable housing and we're in a crisis. Mm -hmm. And we need every single unit of housing put to work and that includes spare bedrooms. And so from our perspective, we really see it as underutilized housing stock. And as we talk to legislators and, and we talk to our lawmakers, they begin to see it that way as well. Um, uh, so it, it's been a really positive experience. I'm really pleased. All right, real briefly, what's your last pitch? Everybody should at least go to HomeShare Oregon's website and look at the application, look at the uh, options available to them, just to consider the idea that maybe this, during at this time or in the future, could be an option for them. All right, Tess, James, and Margaret, thank you so much for sharing not only your homes, but the information. We appreciate you being here. So, um, a reminder for all of you watching that you can also listen to Straight Talk as a podcast. You can download it wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also watch our show anytime on the KGW YouTube channel and KGW+. And we will be back next week.